When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How did the Bucks and Celtics look after the All-Star break? Besides Giannis, who helped the Bucks across the finish line? Do the Celtics need to be worried? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Jared Weiss of The Athletic and other things relating to the Celtics. Jared, how are you? I'm feeling great, even though I just told you the story of how I fell down the stairs two hours ago. Yes, it was a it's a really troubling story, and I hope that you're not going to go in the hospital tomorrow when you wake up. I probably will, but all it involves is my ass getting crashed. That's pretty much all you need to know. Uh, yeah, and there's some stairs, so let's make it you know let's keep it clean. Well, speaking of falling down the stairs, the Celtics and Bucks played tonight. And it was great to have NBA back. Uh, that was a mess. It was all. It was. A, it was kind of a collective spill. But that ending was incredible. And yeah, they they certainly looked like they had had a, uh, all of them had a really great vacation and probably didn't touch a ball. <laughs> Although I guess Giannis touched the ball and Middleton shot a ball. Um, other than that, who am I missing? Kyrie um, was Horford out there? No, Horford didn't do anything, right? So. Um, no, Horford had a huge game. He, no, I know, had, but I'm, I'm saying over, during the All-Star uh, weekend, he wasn't oh, around. Yeah, I actually have no idea where he went. He's like one of the yeah. few guys I have no idea where he went. Like, I didn't watch the skills challenge. Like, did he He didn't do that, I'm assuming. <laughs> so I don't even know. No, he did not. Although he'd be a good candidate for it. But. Yeah, so at any rate, so it looked like a, it was a train wreck in the first quarter where uh, that's like, that nobody could hit a shot. Um, and, and I, you know, I, the Bucks and I, Bucks fans and I have had this terrible um, – you know, interaction on Twitter about Bledsoe all season long. And I, it's like, I, I can't, the more I watch him, and it's subtle, that's the problem, is it's hard to really see, but like the passes he throws are off a lot of times, not, not exactly accurate or on time, but they're not thrown away, so it's not a turnover, but they're just, it, it mucks everything up. And then he gets, he, he only had two turnovers, but they were terrible. The ones he did over dribbling. Um, and so I immediately, when I was watching the game, you know, I, I'm watching it later after the game was over, pretty much, and it was I, I could check the box score. And of course, after the first quarter, my eyes confirmed what you see at the end of the game, which was the plus-minus. Now I know it's noisy, but his plus-minus was negative 15 in a game that was decided by one point. And then George Hill comes in, and he didn't look great either, by the way. Because I, I, as soon as he came in, I was like, oh, let's see what happens, and look at his plus-minus. His plus-minus is is a uh, plus 10. Even though he didn't look great, he did have four assists, but he didn't, he didn't make a field goal so um, and didn't score a point. But there's just something different about when they play good teams, and I think that's the key here um, with Bledsoe and good teams. Now, I don't know. Do you want to weigh in here on the Bucks and Bledsoe? Sure. Uh, well, Hill's a better fit, I think, overall for what, for what they want to do, and I wouldn't be shocked if he was the one starting in the playoffs. But Bledsoe, for one, he's, it's not a good matchup for him when he's going up against Irving and Rozier. 
those those guys well actually I wouldn't say Irving matches up defensively well with anyone but Rogier has done a really good job on him for a year now uh I mean th- this kind of this was just kind of a game where Brogdon was a kind of a more of a fit and impactful player and actually Brogdon has been great against Boston that's been like one of his best matchups in general uh but you know Boston's system is overload to Giannis Antetokounmpo it's to try to get to him high get to him around the three-point line in fact they used to try to get to him at the free throw line now it's like they're trying to get to at the three-point line because he's just gotten that much better and that should leave space for Bledsoe to, to cut and be able to attack a closeout or whatever, but they don't close out hard on Bledsoe, and he's not that good of a cutter off the ball. Uh, he had a couple nice, like, scrap plays. I think it was in the fourth quarter he had a really good one. So, like, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was a complete, you know, zero from him, but I thought Hill, I thought Hill was more impressive, and Brogdon is obviously the best guard that they have on the roster at this point, even though I think I made the, I'm sorry, against like the better teams. Cause I, I think I was the one making the argument that Bledsoe should have made the all-star team over Middleton based on overall performances here, but it doesn't mean I'm a fan of his game. I'm a bigger fan of Brogdon's game when they're in the high pressure games. Yeah, I liked what Brogdon was doing as well. He ended up having um, 15 points and uh, shot relatively well, uh, certainly from three. So he was, and he, he was good. Um, and Middleton again, let's see here, he ended up with 15 points and didn't shoot well uh, from the field overall, but uh, he ended up having 13 rebounds. Giannis had a, a monster game with 30 and 13 with six assists, and he was pretty impactful. What I thought was interesting was they would put um, um, Horford on him, they wanted the bigger guy, and, and they would pick him up at, yeah, at the three-point line, like you said, versus daring him to shoot that. But I think what the point of this is what they realize is that if, if they back off a little bit too far on that, he gets a runway going, and you can't stop him, and you have to pick him up a little bit earlier than you'd want to, it sounds like, or it looks like to me. And their problem with Giannis tonight was just that, oh, we had a pool report I just found out coming from NBA official on the Celtics-Bucks game. Let me just read this real quick. Oh, this is about the shot clock ball? violation yeah. on the jump ball. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. Who cares? Well, um, no, well, we'll talk about it in a second, but finish your thought. Okay. I'll get to it. In a minute. I'll, I'll read it when we get to that. Uh, tonight, Giannis showed, I think this is where it's kind of apparent how much better he is this year, that not only do they have to cut him off higher, even when they do his spin move and his lateral s- sidestep is so unbelievably accurate and like effective, I guess is the word, that they still had to double him into the paint, and he still drew fouls like almost every single time. And there were a couple plays where it seemed like the Celtics would manage a perfect double team on him, and he would still somehow get the foul. Right. Uh, he would still somehow just cut through them. And I, I'm saying, like, I'm not complaining. I'm saying, like, that is that is the level that he's playing at. It's incredible. And yeah. I, maybe, I think maybe I didn't appreciate it as much, probably because most teams don't defend him as well as Boston does. And, I mean, his numbers are really good tonight, but they weren't necessarily, like, jaw-dropping <laughs> for him. Right. He had, what, 30 points and 13 boards and six assists, which are, like, for most guys in the NBA would be incredible. For him, it's, like, a slightly above-average night. Yeah, and he was a negative 10. So even he couldn't have a positive effect on the game overall when he was in there. Um, although it didn't feel that way. It definitely felt like they, they, he was a handful. Yeah, and, I'm not, I'm not going to put that on him. Yeah. Now, let's just talk about that for a second because it went down to the end. And, you know, the Bucks had the game. They were pretty much, you know, up the entire fourth quarter. And then all of a sudden, Kyrie comes down and just nails a three on the break. I think that gives them the lead. And they hit another three to tie it. Um, but what happened was there was a jump ball with 3.9 seconds to go. 
but there was only 0.2 seconds left on the shot clock. Now, I'm curious to think, now, as far as I understood the rule, the clock does not start until someone who is not jumping touches the ball. And, but Correct. Re, but Reggie wanted to keep saying over and over again that it's supposed to start as soon as the, one of the jumpers touches, which I thought was wrong. And it seemed to me that that was what I'm saying is correct. So that what happened was Giannis tips it on purpose because Kyrie, I think it was a Kyrie was jumping with him, right? Uh, somebody really small was jumping with him. And he tips it to um, Lopez perfectly. And Lopez does a volleyball set definitely within 0.2 seconds, but they waved it off and called it a shot clock violation. It was really concerning. It was very strange because, um, although, let me just say this, Brogdon then gets the rebound because it doesn't go in, and he blows the tip in, which, so there really isn't an argument anymore for the Bucks, even if they didn't call it, because he just should have been able to lay that in, and if he doesn't make that, then, and they don't call it, then, then the uh, Celtics get the rebound. It wouldn't, no, it wouldn't change anything. So, thoughts? Did you, does that make sense? So here, here's the exception that explains it, is that what Mike Callahan clarified is that uh, they they don't allow a shot attempt at .2 seconds. So oh. the clock doesn't start until Lopez receives a tip. The tip does not initiate the okay. clock there. However, I, I'm not 100% clear that if he had literally just one hand tipped it as opposed to a two-hand tip like he kind of did, whether or not that would change the way that they rule it. But because he did a two-hand tip, they consider that a shot attempt and therefore violates the .3 oh, second. Oh, you mean, okay. So it, even though it, looked, it was a tip, but because it was two-handed, it becomes a shot to them? I'm that's guessing. he didn't. Spe- Mike Callahan didn't specify that to the pool reporter, but that's my interpretation. Yeah. I would argue that's why that, I thought it was called correctly. Because I would argue it didn't touch his hand, both of those hands at the same time, any longer than it would have with one-hand tip. I, I, I don't think it would did. But um, okay, fair enough. I, I don't think so because I, I, I disagree with that. It looked like he kind of like grabbed it and then like kind of pushed it and almost turned a little bit, like turned the wrist a little bit, as opposed to a one-hand tip where you're just kind of like smacking the ball and you're, yeah. and you're just like very quickly touching. I think there's a bit of a difference there. The difference is so marginal that I think it's why we have the .2 second rule. So right. I kind of differentiate that. That's interesting. All right. Well, then it might be worth even, you know, doing a video on something like that, too, because you don't see that that often. Um, so, and that kind of gave the Celtics a chance to win the game. Um, didn't execute the out-of-bounds play very well, I didn't think. Uh, certainly, this, there, was mm. of, there was a lot of screening going on, but, like, they didn't really set their man up. They didn't hit the, you know, uh, have a lot of contact on the screens. Kyrie shot, he did a lefty twisting you know, in the lane, and almost went in to give him the credit. <laughs> Which is crazy, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I don't think that that's the, sh- you know, that's a that's a 12%, you know, shot, uh, I think, when you shoot it that way. So, uh, sure. but why, do you sound like you were a little bit more happy with the way they ran that? I wouldn't say happy, but how I saw that play going, and that was confirmed actually after by some of the guys, is that the first option on the play is so Kyrie is setting a, a back screen for Marcus Morris to cut back door, Morris gets held and tripped by Chris Middleton. Middleton grabs him, he stumbles, Mm -hmm. and then once he keeps cutting to try to get underneath the rim, Middleton then tries to front him and starts tugging on his arm as he's trying to get position. Although Morris then kind of, like, once Morris is getting tugged on, it seemed like he kind of gave up at that point, because I I think probably because he knew Irving was going to get inbounded the ball. But so the play, I'm not 100% clear or I'm, I'm kind of guessing at this point, the play's either a lob for an alley-oop to Morris, which doesn't make sense because they had three seconds left, right. or what it most likely is, is that he cuts 
from he's on the weak side on the complete opposite side of the court from the inbounder he's supposed to cut to kind of duck in on the block there on the strong side mm -hmm. and you can see marcus smart the inbounder was kind of positioned right between Brooke Lopez's hands because he was up there waving his hands and he was looking to that area down there. So I think the play was duck in for Morris, gets the ball tossed into him. He's got two seconds to basically just like put up a, you know, because Middleton's going to has to either foul him or Morris can just kind of brute force try to lay that up right there underneath the rim. Mm -hmm. Morris is pretty good with that play. So I think that's what they were trying to run it for. And then once that didn't come to fruition, which seemed to be pretty quick, then Kyrie, he snake, he kind of like snakes his way underneath that Horford screen. Him doing that forces Giannis, who's trying to play center field there, to completely turn away from Morris, which that would have been effect given Morris that one-on-one -on -one with Middleton instead of getting trapped by Giannis. But then Kyrie just has to basically come and get the ball and then come around another Horford screen and try to find a shot. You know, I I, I was surprised that he didn't didn't try to do like a sidestep deep shot that's kind of like one of his favorite shots but mm -hmm. he tends to only take that going to his right and he had to go to his left which made the whole thing so awkward yeah no i agree and, and you know the the play itself uh was good in the sense that if it didn't work to morris on the block which is you know when i coached it was a cardinal sin to allow the sideline out of bounds passer to pass the ball to the low post like that just can't happen and you know but but the play did have some secondary options which was a, a flex action to, to some degree with uh uh, Kyrie coming off that Horford screen, so that was good. Um, I, yeah, I just think ultimately the shot they got just was uh, was too tough to make. But I guess overall my feeling was, and maybe the last in the last five minutes I might have changed a little bit, but I just felt like these these are not the top two teams in the East. Watching that for some reason, like or or, or you know what I mean, or they they might be that way, but it doesn't seem like this is going to be. Um, they don't seem formidable to me at this point. And perhaps, again, it's because they're coming off the All-Star break, and I hope that they get more in the rhythm and play better to last, you know, whatever. But it, it felt that way to me, and I'm, I'm a little bit concerned now. I'm wondering, you know, because what else do we have in the East? We have Toronto, um, and we have Philly. And, and I'm starting to wonder now. And Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, but you know, <laughs> you know, and Indiana. And they, yeah. Indiana, they're holding, they're holding on. We'll, well see after the break. Yeah, I, I thought, I thought this was, this was just a post All Star break hangover. This was okay. the, this is a Bermuda hangover for me. But because you know, because both teams shot pretty poorly, but the oh, transition yeah. play was awesome. I mean, these teams were getting out and running and making some really good plays of transition. So their their potency is great. I mean, you know, for for Boston, their wings had a pretty good night. Horford had a playoff Horford type of game, and then Giannis Giannis was just trying to force in transition as much as po as much as possible. I thought Brogdon was great. You know, we hyped up Nikola Mirotic so much on the show mm -hmm. uh, as a as an upgrade over Ilyasova, and then Ilyasova was the one that I thought had the be better game tonight. So that was pretty funny. Sure. Um, well, you know, we you could know, both sleep well tonight because he took a charge. Um, it really is amazing. That's right. I'm, I think I I don't know if anybody. Do you think anybody would watch a video of me? breaking down his charges and how well he does it? I'll watch it, so you'll have <laughs> it released. Because uh, it, it really is, it's just uncanny. Now, he tried to take another BS one, and he flopped, and it's like, th those. if I were on, if I were Budenholzer, I, I'd be a little frustrated because sometimes he takes himself out of the play, and I'm like, sure. he's on the ground, he can't be able to get back and, and help on D. Um, but it, it really is uncanny and, and certainly worth it. He was a plus 13, well, a team leading plus 13 in you know 11 minutes, 11 and a half minutes, which is pretty impressive to do in that short a time. So, yeah. Uh, but Miritich was okay, I guess. He didn't really have an impact in my mind watching it. In the NBA, the biggest matchups this week 
are when the Rockets visit the Warriors on Saturday night, and then the Celtics have to go to the Great White North and take on the Raptors. With plenty of on-court excitement and drama happening on and off the court, you don't want to be left on the sidelines. Go where the action is at betonline.ag. CLNS Media and BetOnline.ag are offering you a 50% sign-on bonus if you use our code CLNS50 with first deposit. Go to clnsmedia.com win. Use promo code CLNS50 for your 50% sign-on bonus today. You can also try in-game live betting where you participate in all the action with every play. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. By the way, just fun fact, which I'm assuming is wrong. According to the ESPN Advanced Stats box score, Giannis had a 184% assisted percentage. Assist, assist, assist percentage, there we go, which is a percentage of team assists that you have while you're on the floor. Obviously, that's impossible, but I'm guessing maybe he had 84%, but either way, that's still pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, well, he had six, and the team had 21 total. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So that's and definitely not. George Hill had four that I think were when he was out on the court because a lot of Hill's minutes were while Giannis is on the bench. Um, and they, oh, I see what you mean. Well, only when he's on the court. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that they went to Hill in the middle of the fourth quarter there and then decided to still close with Bledsoe in the last three and a half minutes. Oh. I, thought Hill, I thought Hill was going to close it out at that point. You're just trying to make me look good by, by when I was saying that a, a couple months ago, right? And I'd say, I thought that because I had predicted that, and you wouldn't believe the, you the hate I got on Twitter from the Bucks fans. And they'd still get. I'm telling you, they give you they give you a lot of hate if they listen to this and go back on Twitter t- tomorrow, uh, because <laughs> you know, like to them, Hill sucks. It's like, listen, Hill isn't flashy. He doesn't. You know, his box score doesn't look that great. But uh, I, like, like like I said before, he's just a yeah, he's a better fit. But again, it's I think it's the key here is when you watch him against the good teams, the top of the top team, the top four or five teams in the league. Bledsoe is great and can dominate the the bottom twenty teams in the league, no problem. But that's not what they're playing for, right? They're playing for Eastern Conference Finals or Finals. Yeah, well, what's good is they have options. I mean, the thing is, Brogdon is kind of playing like Hill was when he was in Sacramento a couple of years ago. Was really yes. peaking, or was that Utah where he peaked? I forget. But Hill, either. Yeah, did he peak? At, was that Utah or Sacramento where he had that real good peak here? He shot like forty three percent. Oh, geez. I mean, yeah. I don't even know. Whatever you can blast me in the on Twitter for this, but uh, either way, Brogdon is the optimal version of what Hill is, at least offensively. So, you know, he still at least provides that balance. I guess they could just continue to have that balance as much as possible on the floor. You know, Middleton is obviously a great rip and go kind of guy and can score from anywhere on the floor. So they continue to have that balance, uh, and I guess that means Bledsoe's more the wild card uh, kind of guy. I mean, he's. He's a guy that they kind of keep in and out of the rotation based on where they are in the game and what the matchup is. Now, the the minutes that he's getting and the role that he's playing certainly doesn't indicate that that's the case, but I think we might see that happening in the playoffs. But also, George Hill hasn't necessarily been playing great. You know, we're talking about him in theory. I feel like we always talk about these fit guys in theory about how they fit, but like in you know at the end of the day, it's who's out there making the play. Bledsoe is he's erratic I mean that's why we're criticizing him but when he's great he's an all-star caliber player obviously and he's been consistent enough this year to kind of merit that level so I think we're complaining more about just who we kind of think of him as our identity of him 
more than how he's been playing, notwithstanding tonight he was not nearly right. as good as Brogdon. Well, I think my, my point, I think, is I, I'll acknowledge that he has played better uh, this year than he has in the past with the same stuff, but the things that drive me nuts that I don't like about execution uh, still pop up as much as they always would did against those good teams. That's, I think that's the point, and that's why you got to be really concerned if you want to go deep in the playoffs with him playing a lot of minutes. Now, again, George Hill might not be the answer, but he's got a lot of experience going that deep in the playoffs and does seem to aesthetically fit a little bit more for me. So uh, that's just me, but um, you know, I, I'd be a little bit concerned. Uh, I did like Jason Tatum, though. I thought that he played well. Yep. And, uh, you know, it looks like he's just doomed or destined to get his, you know, 17, 18 points and, you know, a bunch of rebounds. No, it's, you know, this is not his, his role anyway. But uh, he, I mean? he, he moved the ball pretty nicely tonight. He had a really good kick out. I guess it was his only assist. It was a kick out to, I think, Jalen Brown in the fourth quarter under kind of like really heavy pressure. And when he made that play, I'm like, wow, he wasn't making that play three months ago. So I think he's, you know, the last month or so, he's become a, he's become a lot more confident in his driving kick game. And he's putting up like 18 and nine almost on a nightly basis now. Right. Yeah. So I, I like, I like him a little bit better now. Um, I, I'm sensing if I charted it, he probably wasn't taking as many like pull up long twos off the dribble when he could beat his man. I don't think I saw that tonight. Did you? Not 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 really tonight. I think tonight that was better. But if you look at the shot chart, the Celtics. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about Milwaukee is that their three point attempts are very tightly clustered. Like everything is pretty much down you know down the middle. They don't even really get out all the way down to like the elbow where you know where the three point line flattens out against the sideline, and they have like a couple corner threes. But like the Celtics are kind of widely spread out all over there, and I think Tatum is taking a lot of those shots. Probably Jalen Brown as well, mm-hmm. but. Boston's a lot more all over the place on Milwaukee's predictability is mm-hmm. you know pretty good but also I think it's probably just because of the amount of gravity that Giannis pulls where he has you know they have a ton of attempts kind of right down the middle because he can just attack down the middle and then when he's attacking he can spray it to the corners really well which he was great at tonight or he can just turn and throw it back behind him and there's going to be a huge opening there for someone to shoot it. Sure, and and also I want to give a shout out to Ben Falk at Cleaning the Glass because he did an interesting article about the Bucks' defense and how uh, they're number one at stopping the uh, shots at the rim, but they're also the worst team in the league, I believe, in uh, three-point field goal attempts, which I think that was yeah because of their drop scheme, yeah, because yeah. that's I mean that's how they that's how Bud has strategized it. I think we talked about this last uh, episode, but. They're a deep drop team, which fits their personnel really well. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're going to have to switch. I mean, they were switching. I think on some of these plays in the last few, you know, in the last minute of the game or two. Like they're going to have to switch a lot more in the playoffs, right. especially because like Boston, they go to their, uh, they go to like horn sets at the end of games against them, or really against any team that doesn't switch at the end. They'll go to those sets and they'll just kind of get pick and pop action for Morris or Horford, and they get wide open threes at the top of the key like really easily. And they yeah. got a huge one for Horford, Horford that, all, yeah. that tied up the game for them late. Yeah, and that's why I don't have a lot of faith in the Bucks beating the Celtics in a playoff series because they can do that, and Horford can hit that shot, and that would make me a little bit nervous. Although I will say that Horford hit it even though Bledsoe got back and contested it, and as far as I remember was like in his armpit when he was releasing it. So um, it wasn't like there was an open shot per se, but he still nailed it. So I think they call a late switch on that one probably because I think Milwaukee, I think Bud is realizing this year, which I don't think Prunty did enough of last year in the playoffs, which is that in the last three minutes of the game, they have to switch. 
Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, they, they played it like it was it was like in the first quarter for sure. Uh, and then the one of one of the other points that uh, Cleaning the Glass made was that the, the shots they're giving up on the three point line in volume are to average to below average shooters. So they're dropping and not you know and letting those guys shoot uh, only when it's you know the the bad shooters generally is what is the is the is the scouting report they're trying to adhere to. So that's interesting as well, and you know a sign of a very intelligent team that can handle that and be able to pick and choose who they want to give the shot to and then tip their cap if it goes in. Um, you know, you just never know when you do that uh, whether or not, you know, in a playoff situation for the game, you just never want to give anybody <laughs> a free shot because weird things happen. So uh, as it did, and almost did again with, the, with that Horford shot. So, uh, But a good game. Good. They, they, they kind of shorted up at the end there. We got, got some... Uh, some some good dr- drama going, so I, I don't mind that to get our first uh, night back underway. And th- there's only what like what 24 games left for everybody now. Uh, 23. Yeah. 23. Barely. So it's crazy. That was game 59 for the Celtics and yeah. 58 for the Bucks. So yeah. So it, yeah, it, it is weird how close we are. And and just to push back again, I disagree. I thought that these two teams were really really enjoyable and definitely extremely competitive and I think we'll do a great job getting swept by the Warriors in the finals whomever gets to take them on but well I don't think it'll be that close but it could go five or six sure but uh they uh these teams are I I loved it I just it was Giannis is completely mesmerizing and I, I really like the way Milwaukee matches up with physical perimeter defense against this, the Celtics. They're giving them a lot of the dose of their own medicine. And then the Celtics guys, like I thought everybody just in general had to step up their game to really compete in a way that I don't think they had to against Philly. I don't think you know Philly was like a game plan nightmare because of all the guys that they had. But you know, there's usually some weak points against Philly, and Milwaukee I think covers up the weaknesses better than anybody in the conference. Okay, yeah, and also uh, it's a sign of how seriously that both these teams were taking it. They really kind of shortened their rotations, and you know Boston only played you know basically they played seven guys, um, and then Tice and. Uh, uh, Yabusele got uh, you know a few minutes here, and then the same. And Kyrie way, played almost the entire second half too. Yeah, yeah, and so and then outside the Bucks, they played a, a, another. They they played a little bit more from their bench, but not that much. You know, a guy like um, you know Connaughton who would normally play, DJ Wilson who would normally play, didn't get off the bench at all in that game. So that was interesting. Unless I missed some sort of injury report, but I don't think so. They they were they were ready to go. Uh, um, David Chenzo was out, but yeah, he's on Lafortage. Sorry, what was Pat's last name again? Oh, it's not Connaughton? It's Connaughton. Connaughton? All right. I always I, <laughs> eh. I'll make I'll screw it up again, uh, you know, a couple more times. And I remember from college a little bit too, so I probably uh, you know I, anyhow, I, I Maybe really some like people him. call him that, but it's Connaughton. But Connaughton. um All Yeah. Right. But yeah, like I don't think Sterling Brown or and then they're gonna pick between one of Miritich and Ilyasova uh for that eight man rotation in the playoffs. But Tony Snell I assume will definitely be it. At least when they're playing Boston, he's usually played very well against Boston, mm-hmm. except for an occasional terrible turnover. But generally, he's been good in that matchup. But I think that's that's got to be their eight-man rotation: is Hill, Snell, and then one of Miritich and Ilyasova. Yeah. Oh, I'm, well, it's going to be. I bet both of those guys will get something. I guess right, whoever is hotter or plays more. Although I would imagine that Miritich is going to get run, and is is going to get you know somewhere near twenty minutes. I would think. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see how this plays out in the next uh, 20-some games. So, Well, listen, it's a pretty good breakdown of, of a game that was uh, pretty exciting. So uh, we did it. 
Yeah, B-ball breakdown, you could say. Yes, Celtics-Bucks breakdown. Um, well, either way, we'll, uh, we'll be right back here again next week to talk more about what's happening as we move into the stretch run. So, Jared, what, are you working on anything exciting? Yeah, I'll have something uh, when this podcast comes out around then talking about uh, Kyrie Irving's comments uh, where he got into it with the reporter. And the lead of my article is, is the internet real for you in your life? Which was a pretty <laughs> spectacular Kyrie quote. Yes. But I'm, I'm writing about the kind of the really I'm focusing on that part of it. it. Is the internet real for you in your life? And the way that, you know, the basically the way that social media has changed the way that players interact with the media and kind of led to a lot of confrontations this year. It's been really oh, yeah. kind of fascinating in the confrontations we've had across the league this year. Well, I apologize to Kyrie because I contributed to that. You can embed my tweet if you want. That I don't I remember. If, I don't know if it went viral, viral, but it was. Uh, you know, I, I took the the video of him and KD talking in the runway, and I pretended I was. You know, quotes. Uh, talking about, hey, you like New York? I love New York. It's the best. It's why I had my premiere of Uncle Drew there. So uh, people responded to that quite a bit, and uh, certainly he didn't seem happy to have to talk about it, which I think is, you know, I guess you catch these guys on a certain day in a certain mood, but um, I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't necessarily thought, think that his reaction was uh, appropriate, per se, but uh, I'm anxious to read what you have to say about it. You know what? I, I, a little bit of a spoiler. I had no problem with what he had to say. I think he was wrong in some respects, but I hadn't. He definitely was wrong to the person that he was saying it to, the reporter he was saying it to. Mm -hmm. That he was wrong. He he said like he has said in general about the media that we're doing it for the clicks, and that's kind of what I'm writing about. There's a difference between the people that he's talking to on a daily basis and the people doing it for clicks. Who, who was so, he talking to? Uh, it was Steve Pulpat from the Boston Herald, who's been covering the team for like 30 years right. and you know is one of the biggest probably like one of the most dominant beat reporters of any team in the league like he's been he gets all the big scoops and he's been here forever and you know it's he's it's like he's definitely not a guy who's trying to get his profile up that's for sure <laughs> right all right well we are I'm, I'm trying to get my profile up i'm sure you are too so yeah like and subscribe everybody that's right so thank you jared for coming five stars on. on itunes thank you everybody for listening and don't forget sports fans at b-ball breakdown not a channel for a conversation you win you win jared i'm in late night writing mode